Hi, I am Tingan, and this is the Parents in Tech Podcast. Welcome to Season 2, where we interview dads who are technology company leaders based in Southeast Asia. After hearing from moms in Season 1, now it's time to speak to dads who are raising kids while striving in their careers. Let's find out the stories, challenges, and advice they have for us. In this episode, we speak to Stephen, head of SAP.io Foundry, Singapore. Stephen has more than two decades of experience in technology, starting from a solutions architect and IT consultant to investor at SG Innovate and Startup Bootcamp, and now leading innovation at SAP. Stephen was one of the early believers and backers of the startup I co-founded at age 20, and he is one of the most genuine, welcoming people I know. Stephen is father to a nine-year-old daughter. Hey Stephen, welcome to the Parents in Tech podcast. Very excited to have you on today. Thanks for inviting me, Chinglin. Glad to be on. No problem. So to begin with, could you share a bit more about your family? Sure. We have a relatively small family. So my wife, my daughter, who is nine years old this year, so studying in primary tree, mm. we live together with my, my mom, or rather my mom lives together with us. So a family of four in Singapore. That's very nice. So I got to take you back. How did you meet your wife? Wow, that's a really long time ago. <laughs> Interestingly enough, we are probably one of those cases where internet dating had proved out to be successful. So I okay. met her through one of those internet dating sites that had since gone defunct. I cannot even remember the site, so I can't tell you what it is. The fact that you say site and not an app <laughs> already reveals some of that. Exactly. It's not an app. It's nowhere like the Tinder or whatever or Bumble or whatever that you call those apps nowadays. It, it was really one of those old-fashioned dating sites where you post a profile of yourself and then you write to the person through the site and then, you know. Wow. <laughs> and then that's how it all began. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. That's so fascinating. Okay, and when did you get married? We dated for, if I'm not wrong, two to three years. I mm. guess we found that the chemistry was right. I think our goals were aligned and we got married 2008, if I'm not mm. wrong. Yeah. Okay. A got couple of months after we got married, we relocated to the US because I managed to get a job posting in the US and then stayed there for about five plus years. Wow. Okay. So when you were in the process of getting prepared to get married, was this US move on the cards or yes. was it something that was... Okay, so yes. it wasn't a surprise. Correct, exactly. It wasn't 100% confirmed, but this is definitely something that's in the works. Mm. So both of us were mentally prepared for that. Truthfully, if you rewind back in time, there were a lot of major changes. Marriage, new life together, setting up home, family in a new country. Yep. For me, getting used to a new job. For my wife, getting used to not having a job. It's, it's a lot to handle and admittedly the first year of our marriage. Wow. So what was perhaps one of the most memorable experiences or things that you can recall from that period where there was so much change, right? <laughs> from getting married, moving, <laughs> all of that. Yeah. It's not exactly a bit of roses, uh, to be honest. Like, I think there were a lot of uh, adjustments for both of us. Mm, mm. But I think it all managed to work out. Of course, we there's the usual disagreements that we have, but... They are all things that we managed to sort out among 
ourselves. So nothing too big or dramatic, thankfully. There's also a flip side of things, right? They're living in a new place, new experience. It makes life very interesting. <laughs> Every weekend Absolutely. is a new experience. So, wow, it's great. <laughs> Got it. And where were you in the US? I was in Silicon Valley. Okay, so West Coast, West Coast. And uh, I'm sure you, there's no shortage of things you could do on the weekend. Exactly, exactly. And I'm very biased having lived there for a long time, but I, I think it's the best place in the US that's most suitable for us. <laughs> Makes sense. Where it's great, very multicultural, not difficult to get used to life in a new country, actually. Absolutely. I think it's one of the best places to settle in. But Stephen, when did children come into the picture? We definitely wanted to have kids, mm. but having settled in a new country, uh, it's not a plan to have kids immediately. So we thought, okay, let's enjoy ourselves for a while first. And we did that, you know, tra- travel around and, and stuff. But at that point in time, we were not really getting any younger. We were probably in our early 30s. So when we started trying to have kids seriously, to be honest, it took a while, right? Probably right. a right. lot longer than what we anticipated. Right. So lesson learned, word of advice to younger couples out there. If you can, try to have kids a lot younger. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the kids may not come as and when you want them to. But I think it was only in about our fifth or sixth year of our marriage that our daughter was born. So she was born in the US and then shortly after that, we relocated back to Singapore. Got it. Okay, so this is really interesting because your daughter was born in US and there's a lot of horror stories that we hear about healthcare over there, expensive and all of that. Can you tell us a bit more about what it's like? Because I think for a lot of the audience, we are listening in the context of Southeast Asia and perhaps Singapore where things are more known. What is it like to deliver over there? Yeah. To be honest, this is a pretty dramatic story on my part and I have to be very thankful to the US and where we were. My daughter, she was born at 32 weeks actually. So she was born Ah. premature. My right. wife, she was suffering from preeclampsia. Long story so cut short, the only way to cure the cure it is to deliver the baby. And there wasn't any choice. Uh, so she has to be delivered around 32 weeks. We were in Stanford Children's Hospital. So honestly, it was the best hospital on the West Coast for kids. So we are super thankful that we are in the care of very experienced, top-notch physicians who were able yeah. to give us the care and advice that we needed at that point in time. So it's true, the US it has a pretty bad medical system if you are unable to pay for it, but we were right. really lucky in the sense that we were able to get access to top-level care there. My daughter, because she was born prematurely, she was in the neonatal intensive care unit for about a month. Wow. But thankfully, nothing serious. It's just that she has to be in the incubator to grow, to reach the point where she's able to be discharged out of the hospital. Yeah. yeah. Well, Stephen, you got to talk to me through that journey and perhaps recount some of the emotions you felt. I'm sure this was a time of stress, oh, a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Can is, tell me how is. was it like, especially also in supporting your wife who probably, whatever you're feeling, she might be feeling two, three, ten X more. It is. Plus, to make things worse, we were living in a foreign land. Our family, they yes. were not able to be there. So honestly, Correct. there wasn't much support that we can get. There were some good friends that we know, so they tried to help us the best that we can. But well, we we just sort of you know, pull it through ourselves. And to be honest, it's not really that bad. The good thing is, although my daughter, she's premature, she doesn't really have any health issues. But being a new and first-time parent and a very high-strung person, I'm actually really anxious almost every day. I first have to make sure that my wife, she's okay, recovering well, 
Then I know the is she okay? I did a lot of reading out, so I became something like a semi medical expert, <laughs> premature kids and all these things, right? But it helps to actually address my own anxieties mm. as the days went by. All these tests that they have been doing on my daughter, everything proved okay. She's yeah. doing well. I think that really helped to smooth smooth down my own anxiety in that sense. And then, honestly, given that my daughter was under the care of professionals in the hospital, there's actually not much for us to do. Yeah, All we could do as parents is just visit the hospital, make sure that she's doing okay. And for premature babies, there's this practice in the US where they encourage you to bring the baby out of the incubator and then have some skin contact to get yeah. engaged and have some kind of a bonding with the parents. There's all these unusual activities that we did over there, but thankfully things worked out at the end of the day and we are really very thankful for that. Yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so relieved to hear that. Looking back, Stephen, and let's say their parents are listening to this who potentially might experience this in future, what kind of advice would you give to them if such a thing yeah. happens? Honestly, I don't, I don't wish it for us anything like that to happen. But hey, I think at the end of the day, we have to recognize that there are certain unforeseen circumstances that could happen. I guess it helps to really just, I don't have something to lean on, whether it's it family, religion, friends, or whatever. So something that is there to offer you the support that you definitely will need at that point in time. Also, I think it's also about letting go. So yeah. for me, I like to be in control of a situation. But this is clearly a case where there's nothing, nothing at all that we can do that will make yes. a material difference. So just learn to let go. Trust that, hey, you are in the hands of somebody who's probably more qualified than you that can bring the kind of help that your child will need. And then yeah. just be there to provide the kind of support as best as you can to your spouse and to your child. Makes sense. Now, earlier, Stephen, you mentioned about the support network. So what was that support network? What was the things that you leaned on to during that really challenging period? I guess the absence of family who were back home in Singapore and 16 hours time zone away is really, really down relying on, for example, religion. So I'm a Catholic. Okay. I'm not one of those ultra religious Catholics, but I do try to practice my faith prayer, mm. having friends. I guess all these things sort of helped me at the end of the day. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, so I'm glad that the incident and you know it's just one month, your daughter grew up well. When did the move from US to Singapore happen? How old was your daughter? And yeah. tell me more about that transition because it's another life change. It is, man. I honestly, even before that, there's another more dramatic thing that I probably okay. should, share, should share with you. Yes. So the first time my daughter came back to Singapore, she was probably about six months. Okay. Six months old. So first fly, there's a lot of all this stuff. The bags, the diapers. <laughs> so actually coming back to Singapore wasn't that bad. Now going back, something dramatic happened to us again. Okay. I'm not sure if you recall, but there was an airplane crash in San Francisco in 2008. So a plane sort of skidded off the runway or something like that. They had to basically shut down the whole runway. So we were in one of those places that were affected and we had to be rerouted to somewhere else. Wow. I mean, it was pretty anxious because we were running out of milk powder. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, honestly, my daughter, she's premature. Babies cannot drink milk, packet milk. So that yep. was really dramatic. But hey, that's okay. a, just a side issue that I thought is interesting to share. Did you manage to land before your milk supply ran out? What happened? Thankfully, man. I mean, I'm seriously very thankful to the... So you rushed to straight to the... To, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We were, I was like, oh man, they ran out of milk. In the, another three hours time, my daughter is going to start crying and 
What are yep. we going to do? Thankfully, they managed to clear the runway, the plane rerouted back to San Francisco, and guess what? We make it back home in time for the next meeting. It's like, wow. oh my gosh, this is amazing, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was a really a pretty anxious moment for us. Because, I mean, we had no visibility, right, on how long are we going to be stuck on the plane? <laughs> Yeah, I know what sounds like such a small thing. At the moment, it's just top of mind. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, your daughter is so young and they're at an age where they can't control themselves. So they just keep on wailing and then it gives you that stress. So, okay, but I'm glad that that little thing worked out. <laughs> exactly. After a couple of months later, we relocated back for okay. going back to Singapore. And at the point now, she wasn't even one year old. So her wow. memory of the US were limited to her first year as a baby. <laughs> First yeah. couple of months, yeah. actually, she, she celebrated her first year birthday in Singapore. Right. Yeah. I see. I see. So how was the transition back? Because you left Singapore with two people. You came back three people. Yeah. Was the transition challenging, like adapting back to life here with a child? To be honest, we were really thankful that we are back because it mm. is really very difficult for two of us to just raise my daughter there. And given the fact that she was premature, we were all alone, we have to engage a nanny, Mm. A nanny costs a lot of money yes. in the US. So coming back to Singapore is great. We have family support here. My finances wise is wow a huge burden off uh, my wallet. So it's just great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, got it. Okay, so since then you're back in Singapore. I'm curious because you also shared with me that your wife is a couples therapist, a relationship coach. Maybe tell a bit more about her journey into that because I recall you said that she wasn't working for a period when you guys moved to US. Yeah. How did she get into this? And then of course, I would love to hear from your perspective how it has impacted you. Sure. So she was a psychologist. So she was actually working at IMH, Institute of mm. Mental Health, even before we relocated to the US. So in the US, because of you know, visa issues, you can't really work there. But then she found her calling the sense that, hey, after dealing with mental patients, what's the next thing that she want to do? And I think she became fascinated with family relations and all that. And actually the US, they were pretty good in this. So she made use of her time to study attend lectures, take courses, and basically acquire the skills that will help her to go on to this next stage of her professional career. And then coming back, that's how she got herself into this particular job, slowly build up her practice over the years mm. to where she is right now. Very nice. So your wife is an entrepreneur and you are <laughs> working at a tech company. That's amazing. I think that kind of balance. But in terms of parenting, hours how does it look like for both of you because working in a tech company working in your role where i would think that things move very quickly plus also for your wife to build out her own practice those yep. are things that take time take energy so Correct. how does it look like in terms of sharing the parenting workload so in my current role to be honest is actually really family friendly mm. and i have to give recognition and my sincere thanks to my company, SAP, we are truly a family-friendly organization. Mm. So that helped me a lot in terms of building work-life balance. For my wife, because it's ultimately her own private practice at the end of the day, she tries to arrange things such that she has limited clinical hours and there's enough time to balance mm. the needs that uh, our daughter might have. So between the both of us, we are able to make things work. Mm. Plus the fact that my mom is living with me, we have someone who can help take care of things Perfect. as well. So it's truly a blessing in that sense. That's wonderful. But before joining my current role, in my previous role, in another company at Rainmaking, 
the direct opposite of SAP. I was working pretty hard, pretty long hours, and there was a lot of traveling. Plus, I was based in mm. China. I was oh. traveling in and out of Singapore, to be honest. So that actually limited a lot of family time in that sense, yeah. which of course will cause some challenge at the end of the day. Then that's why I'm sort of very helpful to my wife for having some flexibility in her job and to my mom who was able to help out. Got it. So Stephen, you mentioned about this family friendliness that SAP has. Can you define and break it down for us? What family friendliness looks like? I think the organization is really flexible enough to recognize that people nowadays need not be confined to office, a physical location for a defined number of hours, which is great. When COVID-19 started, everybody started working virtually. Mm. So there was always this question, hey, if you're not in the office, will efficiency on productivity be affected? And the answer is definitely no. We were still yep. able to achieve good results and we were able to meet the needs of our customers. And I guess the company is wise enough to think that, hey, moving forward, that there could be another way for people to work. That's awesome. I feel like it's almost like a 180 change for you. Someone in your previous role flying to China oh, and yeah. maybe give us a sense, how often were you in China? How often were you out of home? So put it this way, I'm able to qualify for the top tier of the those hotel loyalty. <laughs> so that tells yeah. you how many nights a year I spend in hotel rooms. Right. But beyond that, I'm actually staying in a rented apartment in China. So I safely safe to say that I'm out of Singapore for at least half the year. Wow. So from more than half to now, just being able to do the small things like walk your daughter to school, pick her up. I think that's such a huge change, but it sounds like COVID in that sense has done you and your family really good in that regard. It is true, but I think it's also basically because of my own circumstances. Mm. I work in a company that is wise enough to recognize that technology can help in this current pandemic that we're in, yep. where our productivity isn't affected. And for my job role, I basically work with you know, partners as well as colleagues who are based all around the world. So whether I'm in, in the office or not, it doesn't really make a difference. They are not even in the same time zone as me. As long as we are able to communicate using technological tools, I guess it's enough to get the work done. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Okay, so Stephen, where is your daughter at in terms of the phase of growth? So I understand, of course, she's nine, she's in primary school, but if I had to ask you to almost chop up the journey into different phases, how would you describe the phase, the season she is in right now? I would say maybe she's beyond a seedling, but basically maybe at a young tree stage. Mm. The way I think about it, babies are like just a seed that is sprouting or babies are supposed to do at that point in time are just basically grow. Yes. <laughs> and that's a basically, there's actually not much, I'll say, real interaction that you can do Correct. with babies. Now, at the toddler stage, I guess that's when they started to learn things and start to develop their emotions. Mm. So they are at a young sapling. There's growth there already, but very young, still very fragile. And uh, that's why you need to really put it in a cotton wool, help them to manage things. But at the primary school stage, I guess where my daughter is now is, hey, she's able to do things independently. Mm. Right? She's definitely learning and acquiring new knowledge. It's not like last time where I need to be around her all the time. Right. But then she's also not at the point that where we can totally just leave her alone. So it's in that in-between stage where it's kind of nice. She still cares enough about interacting with you. Yep. Not a teenager yet who doesn't want anything to do with you. But not quite like a baby stage where mm. honestly there's not much real interaction. 
or even at the toddler stage where there's interaction, but maybe not the kind where that's the most enjoyable. <laughs> fair, fair. So yeah. what moments right now do you enjoy the most between father and daughter? I guess it's really to talk about things that I find interesting, whether in life or had this happening around the world and or even you know, things that we find to be entertaining or interesting, superhero movies or what have you. I mean, it's nice to be able to talk about things like that. Okay, give us an example, a recent example of something that you talked about. Like we, so I'm a geek at heart, so I do mm-hmm. like to watch all these superhero movies. Yep. So we watched the recent Spider-Man movie oh, that's nice. together. And after we're watching a film, we, we can have a discussion about what we like, don't like, what, what, what you think, uh, some of the scenes, why is the scene like that, mm, and stuff like that. Nice. So it's nice to just talk about things like that. But I'm also able to talk about some more interesting and serious stuff like hmm. cryptocurrencies for example okay okay <laughs> explain what exactly is a bitcoin what, what was it things that you would think that hey maybe a child is interested yep. no but i try to explain it in a more layman terms my daughter still find interesting like, since she's been hearing about this bitcoin <laughs> wow what exactly wow. is a bitcoin <laughs> It's a bit difficult to explain it. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot, Stephen. Can you try to recall what was the explanation you gave? Because that explanation to your daughter might actually be helpful for some of our audience too to understand what is Bitcoin. Sure. I mean, I don't go into technical details, but I just use an analogy like, hey, Bitcoin Mm -hmm. is a digital version of gold. Now, gold, why is it valuable? Because somebody out there in the past decide that, hey, this is something that's worth something and it is scarce mm. is a finite amount of gold in the world same thing like bitcoin so okay why then do we need to go something that's digital instead of relying on gold well there are certain advantages you can use bitcoin for like payment and <laughs> maybe other u- utility that you can't really use something like gold i can't really go on the street and hey i'm gonna pay you no 100 grams in gold <laughs> you can't do that but yeah. hey, I can send $100 worth of Bitcoin to somebody else in the world. And there is a certain value there. So that's how I explained it to my daughter, who somehow got bombarded with advertisements talking about Bitcoin when she's looking at YouTube. I have no idea why that happened. and But that's how all this got started. <laughs> I see, I see. Well, who knows? Maybe she'll start asking for pocket money and crypto someday. <laughs> <laughs> could be, could be. I try not to go into the technical aspect of it, but it's important, I guess, to let her understand that, hey, what exactly is this thing? And why do people put a value in it? Mm, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So Stephen, you are a geek at heart, as you shared. So do you use any tech tools in your parenting? Yeah, absolutely. Even when my daughter was young, I tried to find interesting, let's call it toys. Uh. Mm. Maybe not toys, but educational things that are fun for children. And I generally like to buy the products from startups. Partly to, to support the startups support and partly because, partly because I do think that, hey, whatever the products the startups are bringing out are more interesting compared to the commercial stuff that you get from big toy companies. So some yeah. of those, those things that have worked well, I think they mainly come from the US where they make something that's physical mm. with a digital component to it. Oh, so that it's not, not just like playing yeah. on an app or something like that. Yep. So please enlighten us. What is a recent purchase? It can be a good purchase, a bad purchase, a purchase of regret. <laughs> but just tell us what are some of the tools, the toys that you have tried? I guess the... Uh, so it's not meant to be an, a product endorsement, but I guess this product called Osmo, O-S-M-O, they were acquired by the Indian ad tech startup 
I had Unicorn actually Baiju a couple of years mm. but basically what they have is that they package together nice games that you can play on an iPad mm-hmm. but that involves some kind of physical manipulation of objects mm-hmm. okay so quite interesting for younger kids who are starting to learn I thought of buying all those fanciful toys like Lego Mindstorm and that thankfully I didn't yeah. <laughs> it turns out that my daughter is not a fan of Lego but neither am I actually I, I don't see. actually like to build stuff okay but I do send my daughter to coding classes and to sort of build robots and all that and well she get her a taste of what all these toys are like in her class so there's no real need to buy it true okay the coding classes but how did that come about I mean like I said a gig and half and yep. I truly believe that children should learn coding not necessarily coding coding but more to learn true coding experience mm. what computational thinking is like and whether you want to learn computer science or not in the future that's not the point it's to acquire the ability to think and hopefully be able to address technological changes so that's how i got my daughter into learning coding so she started when she was i think in primary one or something like that i think she enjoy it and so yeah. now still doing it yeah I think that yeah. part about enjoyment is it's so true it's so important it sounds it, like that's something you got her started on but she's interested and I think that's the most beautiful state to be in exactly that she enjoys and pursues it yeah I personally do not believe in forcing kids to do things that they don't enjoy hmm. so my daughter doesn't learn any musical instruments because she's like me yeah. we don't like playing music <laughs> we like yeah. enjoy listening to music but playing is not something that we like yeah. Yeah. Do things that you enjoy. Exactly. Exactly. So if you were going to write a book for your children, what would it be about? I guess for me, it would be something about values that you can hold on in life. Right. Values could be, for example, respect and love for your family, mm. having a resilient mindset so that that will help you to overcome any challenges you might have in life and basically hold true to some of these values that could will hopefully guide you through your life journey. What those values are, I mean, I'm not in a position to comment what they should be, but generally it should be something that resonates with you and your family. So perhaps could you share one value that resonates very strongly with your family? For me, it's generally your love for the family. I was really struck by this research that I read recently. So Pew Research did a survey in 17 or 18 countries last year on what are the things that are important to you. So there are many factors, uh, family, career, material, well-being. And it's interesting that in many countries around the world, even in number one country for capitalism, the US, family actually scores number one as being the Mm. most important to respondents. And so this is something that I would like my daughter to understand as well, that, hey, at the end of the day, whatever that you want to do, whether it's for career or whatever, but at the end of the day, there must be something that you will have to hold on to and family should be something that is important to you. Exactly. Well, I think that's very much the spirit behind this podcast. So I'm glad that you, these are values that I think it's not just unique to you and me, but I think to all of us who are listening. Absolutely. So Stephen, maybe also can you share a time when your interaction with your children changed the way you work or even changed the way that you became a parent? Because I think there's so many times as much as we are teaching our kids, we also learn from them. So was there a particular lesson that led to a change? I think probably it enhances my ability to listen mm. and not judge first. I mean, kids, especially at a younger age, you have to understand they are they are cognitively not, not quite there yet. You have to be more patient with them. It's not their fault. They are still learning. They are still growing. 
you must have the patience to listen to them, try to understand what is it that they want, what they are upset about, and try to understand where they are coming from. And this is, I think, a really valuable lesson that can be applied even in work as well. Sometimes we are too quick to well, come to some kind of a form of judgment or come to a decision. We are trying to take a step back to understand where the other party is mm. coming from, try to see things from their angle. And when you can do that, I think it's a much better way to involve everybody in whatever work or outcome that you're trying to achieve. Definitely. The idea of empathizing, being able to put yourself in people's shoes. Exactly. So Stephen, to wrap up our conversation for today, if there's one thing you have learned as a parent in tech, what would that be? Oh, well, for me, quite honestly, it's really trying to achieve work-life balance. You know, learning that at the end of the day, whether you work very hard, how many hours that you put in, the company will always function where your work goes on. So it's important to also have a balance in your personal life. I'm glad my organization recognizes the importance of that, but I think it's really important that individuals know that as well. I really hope nobody comes to a situation where after working so hard your entire life, that you feel like that you have made it, but your kids you know, don't really recognize you as a close person that they would like, like to guide. I think that's a very sad case. It never happens to anybody. True. First things first and know where you are truly, truly indispensable. I think yeah. so often at work, we think we are, but actually we really aren't. But at home, there's no doubt that there's only one father to your daughter. Absolutely. Cool. Well, this has been a really enjoyable conversation, Stephen. If some of our audience would like to connect with you, how can they best do so? Oh, just find me on LinkedIn. Search for me on LinkedIn, Stephen Tong, T-O-N-G. I don't think there are many Stephen Tongs who are working in SAP, especially SAP.io. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if you are interested to connect, just drop me a connection on LinkedIn. Sure, we'll find you there. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much, Tingan. Glad to be on. Thanks for listening to the Parents in Tech podcast with me, your host, Tingan. We hope you were inspired on how to raise kids and build companies. To catch up on earlier episodes or stay updated with upcoming ones, head over to www.parents.fm to join our community of parents in tech. There, you can also drop me a question, idea, feedback or suggestion. Once again, the website is www.parents.fm That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.